It's good to be with you this morning. Thank you for making time for this conference together. It is a privilege to be here with you. I know that at Redeemer Fellowship in Newark, we love our partnership in Sovereign Grace, and we love our partnership in this region of Sovereign Grace in a very particular way. And so we are eager to build with all of you, not just this weekend, but on into the future. We really love our partnership. All right, this morning I have been asked to speak on the topic of joy. Joy as a characteristic mark, not just of individual Christians, but of healthy local churches. How should joy mark who we are on Sundays during our gathering times, in our fellowship groups midweek, in our service together, even as we walk through trials together? How and why should joy in the Lord mark who we are? And in order to do this today, I'm not going to go to James chapter 1 that says, count it all joy, nor am I going to go to Philippians chapter 4 where it says, rejoice in the Lord always. I'm going to take us to a less familiar text on joy. And so I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles now to the Old Testament text of 1 Kings chapter 1. 1 Kings chapter 1. We don't have time to read the entire chapter together, so we're going to jump around a little bit. But by the end, we'll have read a good portion of this chapter. Let's begin in verse 1. It says, Now King David was old. And advanced in years. Jump down to verse 5. Now Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. Jump down to verse 15. So Bathsheba went to the king in his chamber. Now the king was very old, and Abishag the Shumanite was attending to the king. Bathsheba bowed and paid homage to the king, and the king said, What do you desire? She said to him, my Lord, you swore to your servant by the Lord your God, saying, Solomon, your son, shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne. Jump down to verse 20. She says, and now, my Lord, the king, the eyes of all Israel are on you to tell them who shall sit on the throne of my Lord, the king, after him. Jump down to verse 29. And the king swore, saying, As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my soul out of every adversity, as I swore to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, saying, Solomon, your son, shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne in my place, even so will I do this day. Jump down to verse 33. And the king said to them, Take with you the servants of your Lord, and have Solomon My son, ride on my own mule and bring him down to Gihon. And there let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet there anoint him king over Israel. Then blow the trumpet and say, long live King Solomon. You shall then... You shall then come up after him, and he shall come and sit on my throne, for he shall be king in my place. And I have appointed him to be ruler over Israel and over Judah. Jump down to the end of verse 39. Then they blew the trumpet, and all the people said, Long live King Solomon. And listen to this. And all the people went up after him, playing on pipes and rejoicing with great joy, so that the earth was split by their noise. Rejoicing with great joy, so that the earth was split by their noise. Verse 41 
Adonijah and all the guests who were with him heard it as they finished feasting. And when Joab heard the sound of the trumpet, he said, what does this uproar in the city mean? And they find out in verse 45, they're told Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet have anointed him Solomon king at Gihon. And they have gone up from there rejoicing so that the city is in an uproar. This is the noise that you have heard. Solomon sits on the royal throne. Amen. May God bless the preaching of his word this morning. Friends, collective joy is a very powerful thing. Collective joy. There's there's almost nothing like the experience of exuberant joy with a large group of other people. There's unity in collective joy. There's solidarity and support in collective joy. There's energy and excitement and anticipation in collective joy. Think about it with me. Think about even small things in life. Think about when you won that state championship game with your teammates and the celebration that, that followed. Think about your favorite professional sporting event, just like Melissa said about the Eagles and the explosion of joy. Or think about other things that we like to geek out over as well. I've never been to one, but I hear that a comic book convention is a powerful thing to experience. Thousands of people, thousands of enthusiasts coming together to enjoy the same thing. And those examples are all trite. Think about bigger moments of collective joy. Think about V-Day, when World War II came to an end. There was apparently a celebration in New York City that lasted two whole days. And apparently there was what they called a victory roar that rose up and lasted for 20 minutes after the announcement of victory was made. The joy just could not be contained. Or think about the Emancipation Proclamation of 1863, the day that countless men and women throughout America have been waiting for, the moment that would declare black men and women free from slavery and free from oppression, Frederick Douglass said of that day, the scene was wild and grand. Joy and gladness exhausted all forms of expression from shouts of praise to joys and tears. Collective joy is a powerful, powerful experience. But, but collective joy doesn't just happen naturally or easily or, or quickly, does it? No, collective joy like these things happens only after we have waited and longed for something bigger than ourselves to happen. The, the sports team works hard to get where they are at. The world suffered together throughout World War II. Millions of men and women endured centuries of slavery before experiencing their freedom. Collective joy comes when a group of people experience a long-awaited event together. Friends, the same can be seen in our text here today. As we're going to see in just a few moments, this is a very dramatic chapter in our Bibles. The, The question at hand here is, who will be king that there were enemy kings threatening to take the throne. Corporate joy almost didn't happen because a false king, a fake king, almost ruled over the nation of Israel. But corporate joy did happen because God met them in their need and God put his rightful king on the throne. And friends, what we're going to see here together today is that, that God has done the same for us as his people. 
And therefore, we too can have explosive joy within the local church. Not, not necessarily always in the loud and expressive way that we might think of, but certainly with confidence and a faith-filled, joyful trust in God despite our circumstances. Why? Because the rightful king is on the throne. The main idea for our sermon this morning is this. Having Jesus as king leads to great and contagious joy among his people. Having Jesus as king leads to great and contagious joy among his people. And we have three points. Number one, he is our joyful king. Point number two, we are his joyful people. And point number three, they will hear our joyful message. That's where we're headed. Let's begin with the first point. Number one, he is our joyful king. Again, we did not have time to read all of chapter one, but, but this chapter is a very dramatic chapter in our Bibles and in the history of God's people. King David is old and advanced in years. King David, the, the man after God's own heart, is about to die. And, and the pressing question, question, the pressing issue is who will reign as king in David's place? And, and while that should be a simple question, it is actually very complicated. It's complicated because neither Solomon nor Adonijah, another one of David's sons, neither of them are David's oldest son. There has already been a lot of corruption in David's house, a lot of sin and pride. And so who would be king is not clear at all. God had told David that it was going to be Solomon. But, but as you see in verses 5 to 10, we see Adonijah fight for the crown. He goes against God's word and he calls certain political leaders together in secret because he, he wants to start a coup. He wants to lead a mutiny of sorts. He wants to depose King David and assume the kingship himself. And, and actually, Adonijah is not the only person with the scheming plan here. Now, in verses 11 to 27, we see Bathsheba and the prophet Nathan create their own plan. They, they don't want to tell King David what to do, but they do want to make sure that David is aware of Adonijah's evil ways, and they want to make sure that, that David anoints Solomon as king. Folks, there are power moves being made all over the place in this text here. Who will be king? And friends, that, that dramatic question of, of who will be king, it was not new for the nation of Israel. It was not a new question at all. In fact, this question had been asked since the very beginning of time. I, I wish we had time to do an entire biblical theology of God's kingship, but but we don't have time for that. But listen, it can be said that the question of who will be king over our lives, it goes all the way back to Genesis 1, 2, and 3. God created the world, and he wanted to lovingly and graciously rule over this world and over his people. But as you know, in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve take matters into their own hands, and they fight to be their own king they fight to rule their own lives. And that fall into sin begins the long question of who will reign in our lives. You, you can see the question throughout the book of Genesis and throughout the book of Exodus as God demonstrates his power over other nations and over Egypt in particular. He's, he's trying to convince his people that there is no king that can rule their lives as well as he can. But the people of Israel are hard-hearted and they are stubborn. And they regularly look for other kings to rule them. 
The, the book of Judges is a graphic picture of what it looks like to refuse God's kingship and to seek to rule your own life. It says that everyone did what was right in their own eyes, and it is terrible to read. The, the lack of God's kingly rule in our lives leads to chaos and brokenness of the worst kinds. Ultimately, in 1 Samuel chapter 8, it says that the people come to Samuel, who is the final judge, and they say, now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the other nations. They want a king that is not God. They want a human king that they can see right before them. They want a physical king. And God obliges their weak faith, and he gives them an earthly king to rule over their lives. And so, as you know, Saul is chosen to be king, and you know how that turned out. Saul's not a man after God's own heart. God removes him as king, and the search for his ultimate king continues. Eventually, David would be king, and he was a man after God's own heart. He's an imperfect man, but a man who ruled with wisdom and strength. And in 2 Samuel chapter 7, we read God's word about the Davidic covenant. God speaks to King David, and he says, David, I promise you, I promise you, David, your kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom. Your reign will last forever. But, but how? How will David's reign last forever? He's, he's not a man. And as we see in 1 Kings chapter 1, he's old and advanced in years. His, his rule and his reign is limited. He, he's going to die. And so with all of this history, we come to 1 Kings chapter 1 and we see that this is indeed a very dramatic chapter in our Bibles. Who will be king? Has God's word failed? Will the son of David that God had chosen, which was Solomon, be king? Or will an imposter, a false king, rule in his place? This is the, this is the drama of this chapter. And friends, this is so relevant for us today because this is the drama of our own lives every day that we live. The, the question of this text is the question that we fight with every single day of our lives. Who will reign as king? Let, let me ask you that question very specifically this morning. Who is king over your life? Is it God's rightful king, Jesus, or is it you? Is it the rightful king or is it your job that is king over your life? Is your money king over your life? Is your reputation before others king over your life? Is there a substance like alcohol or drugs that is king over your life? Is politics king over your life? Are sports and recreation king over your life? Is your GPA king over life? Is, is having a neat and tidy home and a well-behaved kids king over your life? If you're a teenager, let, let me ask you this question. What is king number one in your world today? I'm not even asking you to consider Jesus for a moment. Apart from Jesus, if you're a teenager, what is king number one? Who do you worship and who do you obey most on a daily basis? Is it your popularity before your friends? Is it your grades at school? Is it your boyfriend or girlfriend? Is it the music that you enjoy or the video games that you play? Whether we are young or old... We must learn from the story of our Bibles that the search for a, a king's rule in our life will always turn out poorly if that king is not God's chosen king. Our desire to rule our own lives or to have lesser things rule our lives will, will always lead to destruction. That's what we see in this text. Adonijah is a bad king. 
He is an unwise and ungodly king, and his reign will ruin the lives of God's people. Friends, listen, there are many Adonijahs in your world today. Many things that claim authority and power in your life. Many things that promise you a a happy kingdom, but that will leave you broken and disappointed. All of the Adonijahs, all of our false kings, all of our false gods that we worship, we need to acknowledge they haven't worked for us in the past, and they're not going to work for us in the future either. We must see, we must believe that any king other than God's rightful king is the wrong king for our lives. We must know that. Friends, God knows that. He knows that. And in his great love, God wants his rightful king on the throne of our lives. And so even in our text today, God takes action through King David, who is old and advanced in years. Look at verse 29. It says that David works up the strength, and it says that the king swore, saying, As the Lord lives, Solomon your son shall reign after me. God takes action through King David. And so even in his old age, King David begins to give direction. He says, all right, all right, take my son Solomon. Put him on my mule or on my donkey, which is a sign of royalty. Take him to Gihon, a place where kings are anointed. Anoint him there as my king. And then King David says, declare over him, long live King Solomon. I love in this text how Solomon doesn't even do anything. Adonijah is over here scheming all this time, and, and Solomon is just placed into the throne. Friends, all of that's supposed to show us how committed our God is to have his rightful king on the throne of our lives. His good plan through the gospel for your life cannot be stopped by all of the false kings and false gods that we try to worship. No, God's rightful king will rule. <laughs> and so, how amazing! How amazing that when we get to the New Testament, this is exactly what we see in Jesus. That the prophecies of old come to pass in Christ. Jesus, the the Son of God, enters into this world. And as we see in Matthew chapter 1, he is the Son of David. He is a descendant of the King. And so God was faithful to his promises in the Davidic covenant. And we know, we, we know that Jesus was the long-awaited king because he comes and he doesn't waste any time. He immediately says, the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus comes and says, the kingdom's arrived. I'm the king, and guess what? I'm actually the whole kingdom. What you've been looking for is found in me. And his rule is not just any rule. It is the ultimate rule. And it is a happy and a joyful rule. Jesus says in the Beatitudes, blessed or happy or joyful or content are the poor in spirit or the meek or the humble, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This this king and his kingdom, it brings blessedness. It brings joy. Think about the joy of Palm Sunday. The people see Jesus as king and they don't waste any time. They put him on that donkey. They put the palm branches down and they say, Hosanna, blessed, happy, joyful is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed, happy is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Oh, the people explode with joy because they see the one that they've been waiting for. And friends, it was right that they would respond with joy Because not only is he the answer to the need, he is also our example of joy. He is our joyful king. Because Jesus did not come begrudgingly into this world. 
Jesus did not come complaining about what he needed to do. No, he came joyfully. He came eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners. He made wine for a wedding festival as a sign not of judgment but of blessing for his people. Jesus says in in Luke chapter 12, verse 32, Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It is God's good pleasure. It is his joy. It is Jesus' good pleasure and joy to give us the kingdom even when it meant dying in our place. Hebrews chapter 12 says that we should run the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. Listen, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He is our joyful king. He is so committed to being our rightful king and to living with us in his kingdom that he joyfully did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The king stepped off his throne and he stood in our place of condemnation. How amazing. How amazing that while we were his enemies, God said no to all of our Adonijahs. He said no to all of our false kings. And he said yes to his son, Jesus. How amazing, how glorious, how how happy and joyful a thing that the King of kings and the Lord of lords entered into our world. This is what we celebrate as Christians every day and as local churches every single Sunday that we gather. We have a king, and he's a good king. He's a joyful king, and he is the king that invites us into that perfect joy and happiness as well. And friends, before we move on to our second point, let me just say this. If you have never bent your knee to King Jesus, if you've never given your life to him, do so right now. God is calling you through this sermon to put your faith in him and to allow him to be a loving and gracious king over your life. You will not be disappointed. In fact, your entire life will be changed by following King Jesus. There will be an experience of joyful confidence like you have never known before. And that brings us to our second point. Point number two, we are his joyful people. What is the loudest celebration that you have ever experienced? Maybe it was when the Eagles won the Super Bowl. Maybe it was at that U2 concert. Maybe it was one of the celebrations from back in the 90s. (laughs) Personally, personally, I'll never forget when I was in Brazil on a mission trip, surrounded by hundreds of Brazilians, when the nation of Brazil won the World Cup. That celebration was unlike anything I've ever experienced. It it went on for hours. I wanted to take a nap by the time I was done with it. It was loud. It was physical. There was singing and dancing and and crying and hugging. Even though it was just a a soccer game, it it was a powerful experience. Celebrating victory is a joyful thing. And this is what we are called to as Christians. Now, friends, I... I want and I need to say that sometimes when we start talking about joy among God's people, people can wrongly assume that we're trying to say that everyone in the church needs to have a, a happy-go-lucky energy about them. <laughs> that, that if you're not like a Jim Donahue or a C.B. Etter, that you're, you're failing as a Christian. 
right? People often think that, that being joyful means that we have a, a particular personality or that we put on fake smiles and act as if everything's okay all the time. Friends, that's not what we are called to. That would be empty joy. True joy is joy that celebrates victory even as we feel the pain and the sorrow into the feet of struggling people all around us. And I'm grateful that's exactly who people like Jim and CB are. They, they might have a more cheerful personality, but their joy is grounded in something more substantial than just that. Their, their joy is a celebration of good in the face of pain and sorrow. If you think about it, everyone celebrating V-Day in New York City was still aware of the millions of deaths that had happened. The Emancipation Proclamation was so powerful because it was in contrast to that which was so bad. And friends, even in our text today, even though it says that they rejoice with great joy, it's very clear that they are still aware that Adonijah and his cohort of rebels are still out there. The enemy still exists. And so joy... Biblical joy is not blind optimism. No, biblical joy is not blind optimism, but rather a grounded confidence in God and in his anointed king. Biblical joy is a a grounded confidence that, that though sin and pain remain, our king is on his throne and his sovereign will will be accomplished. Biblical joy is allowing the confidence of what will be, which Joseph read earlier, to instill hope and purpose and, yes, even happiness and joy in our presence right now. But it's not just an idea. It's real joy. And that's what we see in this text. Even though Adonijah is still out there, even though more trials are certainly to come against the nation of Israel— In this moment, the people of Israel are overwhelmed with joy by the reminder that God has been faithful to his word. Listen, this this is key right here. I don't think that they celebrate as loudly as they do because Solomon was king. No, they didn't even know what kind of king Solomon was going to be. So they weren't celebrating their immediate circumstances. No, rather they were celebrating their God who had been faithful through their circumstances. God had been faithful to his word to put Solomon on the throne. And so that gave them confidence that God would be faithful into the future no matter what may come. Friends, that that can and should be true of us today as well. Having Jesus as king does not mean that all of our problems go away. But it does mean that God has been perfectly faithful to his word. The gospel that we celebrate, the, the life and the death, and the resurrection, and the ascension, and the enthronement of King Jesus means that all will be well in our lives. Even when all does not feel well, all will be well. Hebrew says that all of our enemies are like a footstool to the feet of King Jesus. The gospel says that though we still suffer, King Jesus has had and is having the victory. And, and this is why... This is why James says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith will produce steadfastness and and let steadfastness have its full effect. James says that we're able to have joy, not in the absence of trial, but in the midst of trial. Because King Jesus is on the throne and he's going to use them for our good. Maybe you are someone who really struggles with doubt in your faith. And oftentimes your, your doubt can steal your joy. But listen, having, having Jesus as king can give you joy despite your many doubts. 
Because his Holy Spirit is your seal and your guarantee. And his Spirit is able to remind you that Jesus left that empty grave behind. And he's now seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And all things are a footstool to his feet. Even your battle with doubt, he rules over it. Church, having Jesus as king means that our worst trials and our deepest doubts are not the end of the story. Amen? Amen. Friends, that should make us celebrate. That should make us very, very happy. Look at what it says in verse 39 again. Then they blew the trumpet, and all the people said, Long live King Solomon. And all the people went up after him, playing on pipes and rejoicing with great joy, so that the earth was split by the noise. What what a verse. I had to read it three times when I first came across it. They rejoiced with great joy, so that the earth was split by their noise. Their joy was so explosive that it felt like an earthquake was happening. Friends, this is the joy that comes from having God's rightful king over our lives. But it doesn't always look exactly the same. At times, it should look like singing and shouting and dancing and stomping our feet with praise. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. But listen, this deafening joy, this earth-shattering joy can also be heard in the darkness of the hospital room with a mom or dad praying over their son or daughter battling with cancer. This deafening joy can be heard in the lives of those who deal with chronic pain all the time, who are dealing and suffering with this, these weaknesses, but who keep looking to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of their faith. This deafening, earth-shaking joy, joy that could split open the earth, it's not just heard in the person singing loudly next to you on Sunday morning. It is heard. It is heard in the lonely spouse whispering prayers of desperation before their God. It is heard in a deafening way from the young mom or dad who quietly gets up in the morning to read their Bible despite having been woken up five times throughout the night. This deafening joy is is not just heard through clapping and dancing all the time. It is heard in the man or the woman who fights same-sex attraction and is seeking to honor King Jesus by living a pure life. Those things are signs of explosive joy in our midst as well. And friends, God has blessed us with this joy, hasn't he? In Sovereign Grace Churches, I love considering our long history and the many ways that God has given men and women, young and old, this, this persevering grace to cling to his hope, to cling to his promises, and to continue on through trial. The, the gospel, it's functioning for us, isn't it? It's not just functioning for us on on Sunday mornings when the band is going. It's functioning for us when we endure Monday through Saturday through the grief and pain that is all around us. Friends, joy in the face of suffering is not the only way that we are called to express our joy. It is more than that as well. It's important to say that first. But there's something else that I am very thankful for within Sovereign Grace It's also something that we need to give attention to and to not allow to be lost in our denomination. Our joy should also be seen and heard in our expressive worship on Sunday mornings before our great king. Here's the reality. The sorrows and the pains of Monday through Saturday will always threaten to steal our joy. They threaten to rob our confidence in our king. And so so we need Sunday mornings, don't we? 
we need, we desperately need to come together on Sundays in order to remind ourselves of the reasons that we have to be joyful. We need to call ourselves to express that joy even when we're not feeling it because we know that it is is true by faith. In this text, the, the threats and the dangers were not gone, but they still shouted and danced. They still blew the trumpets in celebration. I wish we had time I wish we had time to do a whole biblical theology of expressiveness in worship, using our bodies to honor God. How God calls us to to move and to exalt him with our hands. Because that's what we see in this text. That's what we see throughout God's word. Verse 40 says that they rejoiced with great joy so that the earth was split by their noise. Joy joy does not always have to be loud, but the joy of the Lord should, should sometimes be very loud. It says that Adonijah heard it from far away as an uproar in the city. (laughs) You know what that means? That means that when Solomon is crowned king, the people aren't standing around with their hands in their pockets and then saying, oh yeah, now? Okay, long live King Solomon. (laughs) It's not how it went. They didn't pull out their phone and start scrolling in a distracted way. No, they say, long live King Solomon. And they threw their entire being into celebrating what God had done. It reminds me, it reminds me of the Ark of the Covenant when, when God's presence was brought back to Israel and it says of King David himself that he, he lost his dignity by dancing right out of his clothes. He was, <laughs> I don't know what to make of that and I hope we don't do it in sovereign grace, but, but I want to love the Lord and I want my heart to be affected by his grace so much that I don't Consider my dignity so high that I can't begin to move and respond. Consider the, consider the text from God's word. There's too many to, to cover them all, but make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. It doesn't say make a joyful noise if you're good at it to the Lord. And friends, I'm not good at it. Ask my church family. They have left my mic on multiple times and the church has heard me sing very poorly, but that shouldn't stop me. I should make a joyful noise to the Lord. In Exodus chapter 15, after the exodus through the Red Sea, it says that Miriam took a tambourine in her hand and she and the women of Israel danced and sang before the Lord. Psalm 47, God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to our King. Sing praises, for God is the King of all the earth. Sing praises with Him. The scriptures command us to lift our hands in worship. The scriptures command us to clap loudly before the Lord. Now, can I talk about clapping for a minute? Listen, I love my people at Redeemer Fellowship. You know I do. And I am so grateful for what God is doing in Newark, Delaware. It's been wonderful to be a part of. But I got to say, God has not blessed us with the gift of clapping. We, we are the worst clapping church I've ever been a part of. We try, we try really hard and it's like over here and then over here. We just can't get on the same page. It's, it's painful every single Sunday. But friends, that shouldn't make us stop clapping. It shouldn't make us stop. Why? Because God's word commands us to clap and clapping and singing and moving is a way to stir our hearts towards the affection that he wants for us. It is right, amen. It is right. It is right and good to respond physically to what God has done. I remember Scott Rudy being on the stage, I think on Easter morning, and he's on the bass, and he he jumped up and he hit the screen above him. He was like almost knocked out by it in that moment. 
That's good. Don't let that stop us. Listen, Adonijah could have been king. Your king could have, your sin could have been king. Your pride could have been king. Alcohol and drugs could have been king. Sexual immorality could have been king in your life, but they're not. Why? Because God has set his powerful, beautiful, sovereign, joyful king on his rightful throne in our lives. And so you are free from bondage and you are redeemed from slavery. And so even, even as Frederick Douglass said of the joy experienced on the day of the Emancipation Proclamation, friends, the scene at church on Sundays should be similar. The scene was wild and grand. Joy and gladness exhausted all forms of expression from shouts of praise to joys and tears. We're called to be his joyful people. Whether through the deafening joy of enduring through trial or through loud shouts of praise on Sunday mornings, we are called to respond to King Jesus with joyful confidence in him. Let's not lose this in sovereign grace. Let's build this. Let's get more of this in our churches. And as we do, he will be glorified and his name will be made known throughout the world. And that brings us to our final point. Point number three, they will hear our joyful message. If you know me at all, even from the last 40 minutes, you know that I can be loud. I'm not exactly a quiet person. I talk loud. I laugh loud. Some would say I live loud. But listen, I am not nearly as loud by myself as I am with my dad and my four brothers when we watch the Boston Red Sox play baseball. That is a different level of loud. You would have been legitimately scared if you had been in our house when the Red Sox won the 2004 World Series. It was a huge moment for the Shorey home. The, the curse of the Bambino, which had plagued us for 86 long years. It had plagued us. It was painful. It was a burden that we carried until 2004 when we came back to beat the Yankees in the American League Championship, and then we came back to break the curse of the Bambino to win the World Series. Guys, it was unbelievable. The volume was explosive. You would have hid under the couch if you were there. In fact, it was probably five years later when we met a family who lived in the neighborhood across from ours. And after talking with him for a little while, the Red Sox came up in conversation and they said, wait a minute, wait a minute, are you the family that we heard on that night? And we were like, yeah, that was probably us. They're like, we couldn't believe it. Like it was, it was loud. We were like, what is going on over there? Can we get in on that party? Folks, that's exactly what we have in this text, only even more so. In this text, Adonijah and his friends are, are perfectly content in themselves. They think that they are secure. They think that their king is going to rule, and they are feasting the night away in celebration because they think that their kingdom is, is the ultimate kingdom. Friends, there are people all around us every day who are feasting their lives away. They think that their lives are secure. They think that they have found true happiness in their career or in their home or in their hobby or in their drugs. People all around us in our neighborhoods and in our workplaces, they think that they are living in the ultimate kingdom. But look at what happens to Adonijah and his friends in verses 41 to 53. Listen, over and above the sound of his own party, Adonijah hears this roar of joy coming from the city. And he and, and Joab are like, what in the world is that sound out there? And then they're told 
That sound is because Solomon is now sitting on the throne and the city is in an uproar of rejoicing. <laughs> Suddenly, the, their party's interrupted. It's like the music, to, DJ's like, uh, there, there's no more joy. Look, look at what it says. It says, all the guests of Adonijah trembled. This is in verse 49, and rose and each went his own way. Adonijah and all his guests, they feared the king because of the the joy that they heard coming from the city. They all scattered from their places of celebration. Why? Because they suddenly realized they did not have anything to truly celebrate. They they realized as much as they wished that that Adonijah was king, as much as they wanted to act like he was king, they realized that Adonijah, he's not the real king. He's a fake. He's a fraud. It says that they trembled and they all went their own way. Folks, this is the effect that our joy in the Lord can and will have on the world around us as well. They will see our joy. They will see your joy as you don't give up in the midst of trial. They will see and hear your joy as cars line up outside your house on Tuesday night for fellowship group again. They will see and hear your joy as you sing during that fellowship group with windows open. They will see and hear your joy as you give generously and serve radically with your lives in ways that don't make sense to them. They're going to see all these things in your life which seem like weakness to them, but they're going to slowly begin to wonder, man, what is happening in their life? What is going on over there? And it may be that they start to tremble. It may be that they begin to question whether their kingdom is as secure as they thought that it was. Your joy in trial, your joy within the local church is going to expose false kingdoms and it's going to be an opportunity for them to turn to King Jesus. It says, it says that even Adonijah knew that his, his mutiny was over. He, he went into the tabernacle and he, he clung to the altar. He was, he was scared to death. He was claiming asylum, trying to protect himself. But it says that Solomon called for him and they brought Adonijah to him. And it ultimately says that Solomon had mercy on him. The joy of God's people was used by God to inform Adonijah and his friends that they did not have all that they thought they had. Their joy, the joy of of God's people exposed their counterfeit kingdom and it led them to the ultimate kingdom. And friends, friends, this can and will be our experience as well. Our joy in King Jesus will be contagious. People will notice it, and they will ask with Adonijah, what is the sound that I am hearing in Reading? What is the sound I am hearing in Souderton? What is the sound I am hearing in Glen Mills? What is the sound I am hearing in Newark, Delaware? And they will come, and they will bow before the king. He is our joyful king. We are his joyful people. They will hear our joyful message. Collective joy is a powerful thing, and there is no greater joy than God's people rejoicing in the great things that he's done. Amen.